Through Christmas, we will look at how simple shepherds in the Bible point us to Jesus, the good shepherd. The shepherds are the image. Jesus is the reality. We started in Genesis with Abel, and we will end on Christmas Eve with the Bethlehem shepherds. Today, we're looking at King David, the gathering shepherd. First, I want to tell you a quick story about Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton once entered a Dolly Parton lookalike contest and lost to a man in drag. Sometimes our images of things overshadow the reality. King David is almost one of those images. David the shepherd king points us to Jesus the good shepherd in so many ways. I had a difficult time choosing a passage to preach. Jesus says in John 10, starting in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. That idea of gathering a flock is what I want us to focus on today. The good shepherd gathers the sheep. 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2 says, So David left Gath and took refuge in the cave of Adullam. When David's brothers and his, family, and his father's whole family heard, they went down and joined him there. In addition, every man who was desperate, in debt, or discontented rallied around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. Our first point is the shepherd gathers insiders. David's brothers and his father's whole family joined him. These are the people that were present when David was anointed king by Samuel. His brothers were also at the battle when David killed Goliath. They knew David. They knew what God had planned for David. They had seen David in action. David's family are the insiders to his life. They just, they just don't know about David. They have a relationship with him. David's seven brothers were also older than him, which means they could have all had families. David was already old enough to have married the daughter of King Saul. So David's brothers are not just coming to fight alongside their brother. They're, they may be coming to protect the lives of their families. And that's also why David's father and their extended family all come to David at the caves. They have left their family land in Bethlehem. David's brothers had been in Saul's army, so maybe they are deserters. But they have to hide for two reasons. One, so they won't have to attack their own brother as part of Saul's army. And second, so they can't be used as hostages by Saul against David. In Saul's pursuit of David, later on in this same chapter, Saul will kill priests of God who unwittingly assisted David's escape. Surely Saul would have no reservations about going after David's family. So for protection, all these insiders have gathered to David. This is the opposite of what we experienced this year for Thanksgiving. The CDC told everyone to stay away from your family. Don't have a big gathering. But imagine if the order was to gather your family together for safety. Your brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles and cousins, the grandparents to grandchildren. Everyone huddle together for Thanksgiving and stay together. If you have to move, the whole extended family moves together. I imagine all of us have some family that we would welcome into our homes and some others that it might be difficult having in our home. And of moving, I think 
it was challenging enough when my family had just three people to move ourselves from California to Minnesota. I can't imagine what moving all my extended family together into one house would be like. And what if that house was just a cave? Now, as we compare David to Jesus, the good shepherd, who are Jesus' insiders? For Jesus, the Jewish people in general are the insiders. This is his ultimate extended family, anyone who calls themselves a descendant of Abraham and worships the Most High God. Jesus spends his time on earth in Galilee and Jerusalem doing most of his ministry and teaching Jews. Jesus said in Matthew 15:24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. When Jesus sent out his disciples in Matthew 10, 5 and 6, it says, Jesus sent out the twelve after giving them instructions, don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. However, just because someone is an insider doesn't mean that they more easily come to Jesus. People who could be considered the ultimate insiders didn't gather to Jesus. Most of the religious leaders, people who knew the scriptures and thus should have recognized him, rejected Jesus as the Messiah. In the Gospels, we only have named uh, two religious leaders, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who followed Jesus. And even they probably did so secretly. According to John 7, 5, Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him, at least until after the resurrection. After the resurrection, more of these insiders did believe in Jesus. It was first after Jesus resurrected Lazarus. In John 11, 45 and 46, it says, Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then later, John 12:42 says, Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, so that they would not be banned from the synagogue. So these insiders began to believe, just not publicly. Later, after the resurrection of Jesus, and recorded in the book of Acts, we see that Paul, who was a Pharisee, became a believer and an apostle. Acts 15.5 informs us that Pharisees are part of the early church as they debate whether or not Gentile believers have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to become Christians. Also, according to 1 Corinthians 15.7, Jesus appeared to his brother James after the resurrection before he appeared to the rest of the apostles. James and Jude became believers, writing two books of the New Testament. According to Acts 15 and Galatians 1.19, James was a leader in the Jerusalem church. The insiders today, for me, are people who have had exposure to Christ and the gospel. Now, it could be my child or grandchild when I have them. It could be a sibling, a neighbor who used to go to church but doesn't anymore. Maybe they haven't gone to church since catechism. Sometimes these people are called the de-churched people. On the one hand, these people have an advantage because they've had some exposure to Jesus. But with that exposure to salvation also comes greater accountability. James 4.17 says, So it is sin to know the good to do and not to do it. And 2 Peter 2.21, speaking specifically of false teachers, but I think there's a broader application, says, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after 
knowing it, turn back from the holy command delivered to them. God holds the insider to a greater degree of accountability because of their greater knowledge of the truth. But just like with Jesus' brothers and the religious leaders, just because someone knows the truth doesn't mean they will accept it. In fact, they may be more resistant to the truth. Just because my children are pastor's kids doesn't mean that they will automatically follow Jesus. PKs have the historical reputation of either being great followers of Jesus or the greatest rebels. Although I pray and do all I can to teach my children the truth of Jesus and introduce them to a relationship with Jesus, my children need to experience the resurrection of Jesus for themselves in order to be gathered to the Good Shepherd. And while I hope this doesn't happen, there may come a time when my daughters don't want to have a relationship with Jesus. But if Jesus can gather his insiders like James and Paul, people who were openly hostile to him, Jesus can also gather my insiders. And the shepherd also gathers outsiders. Let's take another look at our first Samuel passage again really quickly. So David left Gath and took refuge in the cave in the cave of Adullam. When David's brothers and his father's whole family heard, they went down and joined him there. In addition, every man who was desperate, in debt, or discontented rallied around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. So now we have all these people, 400 men. So that's not including any women and children that were brought along also. All these people have come to David at these caves. These people, as far as we know, have no prior relationship with David. Some of them may have been in the army with David, but none of these extra people were family. But who are these people? Oh, here's something interesting. The message translation, which I normally like, puts it this way. It says, not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around. Losers and vagrants and misfits of all sorts. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't like that translation. It's a very well-to-do Western thinking kind of translation. I think while down on their luck seems to fit, these people are not losers, vagrants, and misfits. It's from this group of outsiders that David gets his elite warriors, the mighty men of valor. The Bible gives us three categories of people that gather to David. Those in distress, in debt, and embittered. Let's talk about those in distress. That word is sometimes translated desperate or in anguish. It's often used in scripture paired with siege, like in a war. The people of the city are besieged and desperate because they're running out of food. The word literally means in a narrow place. In baseball terms, it would be in a squeeze play or in a pickle. That's where a runner is pinned between two opponents and doesn't have a choice about which base to go to for safety. I think the best modern translation would be a person stuck between a rock and a hard place. Those in distress that gathered to David had nowhere else to go. They are caught up in a societal problem. They are homeless. They have no family to turn to, no government to bail them out. So they gather to David to shepherd them. Next, we have those in debt. This is people who owe money, more money than they can pay back. Owing money in Bible times could mean that you and your family might be sold into slavery. So the first group were part of a societal problem, but the second group has a personal problem. 
Now, we don't know how it happened, but there were no visa cards back then. Somehow they got in over their heads financially and wanted to avoid slavery. So they gathered to David to shepherd them. Lastly, we have the embittered. Some translations say these people are discontent, but discontented is the least used translation of this word. This word means bitter. When applied to to things, it means bitter tasting, and when applied to people, it means a bitterness of the soul. These people are not discontent, merely fed up with the status quo. This means these people have anger, pain, and hatred in their souls. Like the indebted, the text doesn't say what has made them bitter. It could have been King Saul, but we don't know. What we do know is bitterness of the soul is a spiritual problem. So those are the outsiders that David has gathered. Those with societal problems, those with personal problems, and those with spiritual problems. We have a new gathering place in the Twin Cities, the intersection of 38th Street and Chicago Avenue in Minneapolis. It has become... George Floyd Memorial Square, but not because any government officials proclaimed it such. People just started coming there, first to pray, mourn, and then to protest. Now the square is a community gathering place. A group called uh, 612 MASH started doing emergency medical care in the square, tending to wounds and trauma uh, that were inflicted during the riots. But today their duties have shifted toward helping those without uh, insurance and and those without medical health care. The medical team doesn't turn anybody away. Homeless people have come around the square as the city has evicted nearby encampments. The medical shed has provided them with kits that include blankets and hand warmers to face the harsh uh, winter months we have here. People are also handing out food to the homeless there. Also, since it has gotten colder, the square is dotted with fire pits to help keep visitors warm. Community members have erected a greenhouse to preserve the more than 350 potted plants that have been laid at the memorial, and they're exploring how to strengthen the greenhouse to withstand the rest of our winter. But even right now, the greenhouse stays above freezing, and it smells like springtime in there. At Halloween, there was a trunk or treat in the square. It's a place for political discussion. It's a place for general outdoor community activities. The place where George Floyd got killed is now one of the safest places for people to gather in Minneapolis. Jesus also gathered outsiders. Jesus gathered Samaritans, Romans, Greeks, and other Gentiles. Oftentimes, these people's faith was greater than the insiders. Speaking of the Roman centurion, Jesus says, Uh, To a crowd in Luke 7, 9, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. Jesus touched people that were unclean and made them whole. Even within Jesus' disciples, he had outsiders, zealots, doubters, and tax collectors. Like David, Jesus himself was homeless. Luke 9, 58, Jesus said, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So those that followed Jesus left their homes. When Jesus taught difficult things, many of his disciples left him. And in John 6, 67 and 68, Jesus says to the twelve, Don't you want to go away too? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter, who did have a life he could go back to, realized that in reality, if he wanted to live, 
he had nowhere else to go but with Jesus. After his resurrection, Jesus sends his disciples to insiders and outsiders. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think it's not just David that gives us an image of Jesus, the gathering shepherd, but it's also the gathered people that give us a picture of Jesus' church. Isn't the church, and our church in particular, supposed to be filled with our family and strangers? With those who have societal problems, with personal problems and spiritual problems that Jesus can heal? The good shepherd says, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Today, we pray from Psalm 85. Lord, you showed your favor to your people. You restore our fortunes. You forgive your people's guilt, covering all of our sin. Therefore, I listen to what God says, and the Lord declares peace to his people. Those who are faithful to him, he will not let them go back into foolish ways. His salvation is very near to those who fear him, so that his glory may live with us and shine out from us. May the church be the place where the faithful love and truth join together, where righteousness and peace embrace, where the righteousness of God looks down from heaven and says, like on the days of creation, this work is good. I will bless its harvest and prepare the way for its future. In the name of Jesus, our shepherd, we pray. Amen. As you reflect on this message, think of one thing that resonated with you, one thing that challenged you, one thing you want to learn more about, and one thing you will do based on what you've heard. If you have not yet gathered to Jesus, I hope you will do so today. And if you have, share that faith with someone else. Today, I'd like to again leave you with this blessing. May heaven's richest blessing come down on everyone who goes out, following the good and beautiful shepherd himself, to find the lost sheep and to love and care for them. For beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news.